Awesome. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for sharing your uh, Waitangi weekend with us today. Ka nuinga, mihi, mahana, kia koutou. Warm greetings to you all uh, this morning. <laughs> uh, but hope you enjoy your time with us. If you're new here, if you're visiting us for the very first time, don't forget the coffee is on us uh, this morning. Uh, to the, uh, as Haley mentioned, tomorrow we start off our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And um, I believe as a church, it's important for us to really press into prayer and press into fasting. You know, Jesus himself said that there are some things that you, only prayer and fasting, you know, could, could do. And so uh, my prayer is that, you know, in this next season, as we journey uh, through prayer and uh, through fasting, that we'll continue to seek the face of the Lord for our church uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, but in light of that, we are kickstarting a sermon series today that's called uh, Prayers That Move Heaven. Prayers that move heaven. And this morning, I want to share a message that is simply titled, Prayer is, dot, 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 prayer is. And if you've got your sermon uh, notes with you, take it out. And I encourage you to grab the pen on the seat in front of you. And I want you to write there on the side what prayer is for you. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm not going to like call you out and be like, Jess, what is your answer? You know, <laughs> just write on the side there, prayer is, amen. Uh, when I was young, I remember being in Sunday school and, um, our Sunday school teacher was teaching us how to pray. She would teach us all of these different songs, you know, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. She'd also teach us uh, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and, you know, all those kind of things. But she was teaching us how to pray. Now, there was this uh, phrase that was often, that I often heard growing up in the church, and it was, prayer is a conversation between you and God. Whenever they said prayer, they, they, you know, they were saying that prayer uh, was this, was you having a chat with God? It was you talking with God. But you know, to be honest, church, for the life of me, I couldn't even grasp or understand this concept of prayer being a conversation. And here is why, because there are so many different styles of prayer in the church when I was growing up. You know, when one person would get up to pray, all of a sudden they would have this American accent, Lord, Father, God, we honor you this morning. You're wonderful. You're marvelous. And I'm like standing there going, wow, prayer is a conversation. Other times, some other people would get up to pray and they would do the whole King James Version prayer. No shade, no shade. But they'd be like, Lord, us, our God, us, Yah, had created all these things. Everything was a th, th, th. And, and for me, I'm like, okay, prayer is a conversation. Hmm. Other times, other people would get up to pray and they would, you know, put on that preacher's tone. Lord Almighty, we worship you this morning. And they put on this tone, and I'm like, man, if prayer is a conversation, I couldn't even grasp this idea of prayer being a conversation. Because when I'm having a conversation with you, I'm not putting on an American accent. I'm not trying to do the whole King James Version uh, prayer thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to put on the preacher's tone when I'm having a conversation with you. And so part of me felt like I couldn't pray. It made me feel like I, I just couldn't pray to God whenever I wanted to. It made me feel like I had to sound a certain way in order for me to approach God. It made me feel like I, I, I couldn't be real and honest with God um, about how I felt about certain things. It made me feel like I had to put on this whole performance of a prayer uh, in order to get God's attention. But it wasn't until the year 1999, my grandmother, she was on her deathbed. She had me in one arm. She had my baby sister in the other arm. And... You need to know that my grandmother, she was a praying woman. How many of you are thankful for praying women in your lives? Your great-great-grandmother, your grandmother, your mother. I'm just thankful for praying women in my life. My grandmother, she was a praying woman. 
And even on her deathbed, she was praying. You know, oftentimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and her hand was hard pressed on my head and she's like, Lord, bless this child. You know, other times we'd be on the way home from a long day at school or at church and, and stuff and she'd like reach on over, Don, where are you? She places her hand on my forehead and she would pray for me in the car. And when grandma would start to lead the devotion, you can count on her to pray. There was just something about that generation. They just prayed and prayed and prayed. They persisted in prayer. And my grandmother was that lady, you know, would be falling asleep during devotion, whoosh, get up and continue to pray and pray and pray. My, mother, my grandmother, she was a praying woman. And so she was on her deathbed. She had me in one arm, my sister in the other arm. And even on her deathbed, she was praying. She reached out, she put her hand on my head and she said, Lord, bless this child. May he be used for your glory. Lord, bless this young woman. May her testimony be one of miracles and healing. And, and it was just amazing to see that. And so she took her, her last breath, um, there in our home, but I remember pacing up and down our driveway. I'm trying to have, a, like, make, you know, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to have this conversation with God, and I, I realized that I couldn't do it because I didn't know how to put on that American accent. I didn't know how to do the whole King James Version thing. I didn't know how to, you know, and, and so I found myself going up and down the driveway, pacing myself up and down, trying to woo God with my words, trying to pray and pray and pray, and I only found myself really tired and exhausted. You see, performance kind of does that, eh? It just makes you tired and exhausted. Actually, I wanted to share this, uh, this definition of the word performance. It says this, performance is a display of exaggerated behavior or a process involving a great deal of unnecessary time and effort. In other words, a great big fuss. And that's exactly what I was doing on this driveway, doing, you know, making this whole big fuss, performing this whole thing of a prayer, and I just found myself exhausted. And so I'm sitting under the mailbox, and it was there that I began to have this really blunt and honest conversation with God. And I said, Okay, God, if it's not part of your plan to bring my grandmother back to life, can you at least help us to deal with it? And it was in that moment that I realized prayer is so much more than just a conversation. Prayer was, you know, in that moment for me, prayer was no longer this formula or a set of steps on how to pray. It was all about a heart connection. It was a heart connection between me and God. Sometimes there will be moments in your life where you will find you will you will face crisis. There will be prayers that you will pray where no amount of words, no tone, no accent is is going to do. There will be moments in your life where you will feel like it's too hard to pray. Like where do I start? What do I say? How how do I even pray in the face of a major crisis? Actually, if there was anybody who knew how to pray in the face of major crisis in the face of adversity, in the face of what seemed to be the most difficult time of his life, it would be Jesus. He knew what his assignment was. He knew exactly why he came to, the, to, to earth. And hours before he is being, you know, um, you know, dragged away, carried away, beaten and spat on and crucified, he is out here in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. His disciples follow him up into the Mount Olives and Jesus says to them, wait here and pray. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. And so then in Luke 22, verse 41 to 42, we pick up the story. It's there in your notes. And it says this, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You can learn a lot about a person when they are under pressure. You can learn a lot about a person when they are under a lot of stress. You can learn a lot about a person when they are going through things. You see, Jesus, he's about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. And he's out here holding a prayer meeting. 
And he isn't just doing this once because the Bible says that he continued to do it. He prays this prayer three times throughout the night. And so he paints for us the perfect example of how we too should approach prayer, especially in times when things aren't going well. Turn to the person next to you and say, prayer is. Oh, come on, I think you can do better than that. Say it with a bit of conviction. Prayer is. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) There are four things that I've, I've kind of pulled from this text that I'd like to share with you this morning. And the first thing is this. Prayer is personal. It's 101. We might as well go on home with that. But prayer is personal. It's as simple as that. You see, this God that we serve, he's not a faraway God. He is a near God. He is close to us. He is up close and personal. Oftentimes, we think of God as distant and far away from us. But the Bible says that God is near to us. He is with us. He is um, every pl- in every place. He is everywhere. He is as close as your next heartbeat. He is close as your next thought. He is right there with us in every moment. Jeremiah 23, 24 says this, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? And then again in Psalm 139, verse 7, 11, the psalmist says, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. He goes on to say, I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. God is not a faraway God. He is close. He is personal. He is near. And because of that, prayer is personal a personal relationship with God, when you come to know the nearness of God, when you come to know Him, not just as the creator of the universe, but as your Father, then you realize that prayer is personal. He's a personal God. He is not a force. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He is a person who relates personally to His people. You see, the pattern which motivates prayer is that God speaks and we respond. God speaks to us through His word and we respond to him through praise and worship and prayer as we converse with God throughout the day he will give us his pre- he, he gives us his presence he gives us his peace it's no wonder the Bible encourages us to pray the Bible says pray at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication pray without ceasing uh, pray always and not lose heart you see when we pray we don't have to treat God like he's all the way out there and we're here no he is right here with us but at the same time, we don't have to treat prayer like it's a transaction, you know, where, where prayer becomes this currency where we try to purchase our healing and purchase our breakthrough and purchase uh, a, a miracle because prayer is it's not, a, it's not a business transaction. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is not a, a list of how-to steps. Prayer is a heart connection, a heart connection between you and God. When you're having a conversation with a close friend, I want you to think of all the words that you'd use to describe that, that relationship uh, with your best friend. You know, you'd call it, you'd probably use words like loving, warm, uh, intimate, personal. Shouldn't it be the same way with God? You know, in our relationship, it shouldn't feel distant or dry and awkward and cold. No, it should feel loving. It should feel warm. It should feel uh, intimate and personal. Jesus kneels down to pray and he says, Father. He makes it personal. See, he could have said, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Abraham. He could have said Yahweh. He could have said uh, Lord God Almighty. But he kneels down to pray and he says, Father. (laughs) Amen. Have you ever had one of those 
relatives who's in the car with you and they're just randomly talking to God every now and then. You know, you could be driving along the, the you know, on a drive and they see, you know, the sun and they're like, oh man, God, you created that. Thank you, Lord. Or they're in the water swimming with you and they're like, man, God, you created the water. Thank you, Lord. Well, I have a niece. She's about 14 years old and she, every time she has a conversation with me, I don't know what it is about this generation, but she puts on this American accent every time we have a conversation. And so when we're driving and she sees this amazing landscape, she'll be like, hey, my daddy did that. Okay. And when we come across like this amazing infrastructure, all this mansion, she'll be like, hey, my daddy created the brains that created that. And I'm standing there and sometimes it's awkward, it's weird, and it's like, hmm. But it's a bit true, isn't it? You see, and, I, and I believe it's the same with, uh, with God. You know, church, God cares for you. God loves you. God wants to be in a loving relationship uh, with you. And he's like that parent who sees you, and he's not like, oh, it's that Psalm 1 kid again preaching. You know, he's not like, oh, it's that chick again from the hood leading worship. No, he makes it personal. He's like, hey, that's my son right there. Hey, that's my daughter right there. Amen. <laughs> And so we ought not to treat God like he's distant and far and cold. No, he's near, he's up close, and he's personal. He's loving. So the next time you pray, you need to know that prayer is personal. He's no longer just the creator of the universe. No, he's my creator. He's no longer just Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. No, he's my provider. He's no longer just the God of peace. No, he is my peace. Prayer is personal. The second thing you need to know is, Prayer is paying attention to God. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they're not paying you no attention? You're telling this amazing story, but they're looking everywhere else but you, you know, and they're, they're fiddling with their phone. They're, they can't sit still. They move here. They move there. They're just not paying attention with you. And sometimes it's not because they're bored or they're, they th- they're trying, they've, they've got something better to do, but the truth is that it can be really, really hard to pay attention to someone or something for an extended period of time. You know, the reason it can be so hard to pay attention is because it means that you are required to then turn away from that which you are naturally inclined to do, which you are naturally drawn to do. When you're in conversation with someone, it can be hard to just sit and be still and listen and converse with them. And so if praying is paying attention to God, it means you'll have to turn away from that which you are naturally conditioned to do. It means you might have to turn off your phone when you go into prayer. It means you might have to call out every distracting thought and make it yield to the name of Jesus when you're going in to prayer. It it may mean that you'll have to wake up earlier than usual to go to prayer. And to be honest, it might mean that you probably won't, you know, you you have to turn away from the urge to post on social media that I'm about to pray, you know. Because if prayer is paying attention to God, it doesn't become optional. It becomes part of your everyday life. You long to pay attention to God. A lot of times when you hear Jesus praying, He has removed himself from the busyness of life. He has removed himself from people. He's removed himself. He has withdrawn. He is absolutely paying attention to God. Yes, there is time for corporate prayer. Yes, there's time for us to come together and pray. But sometimes you are going to need to have that alone time with God. Alone time where the noise needs to die down. Alone time where the whispers in the wind needs to die down. Alone time with God where God is speaking to you through his word. And so here we have Jesus. He is withdrawn from his disciples. He kneels down and he prays. He gives God all of his attention. When was the last time you gave God all of your attention? I'm not talking about just praying for the sake of praying. I'm not talking about praying because someone's asked you to pray. When was the last time you actually removed yourself from the busyness of life and gave God all of your attention and prayed? 
there's a question that this uh, a woman by the name of uh, Curry, sorry, Corey Ten Boom, she was a Dutch Christian, and she not only survived the Holocaust, but um, she helped us to rescue so many Jews during a horrific time in history. But she says this. She asks this question, is prayer your steering wheel or is prayer your spare tire? Is prayer your first option or is it your last resort? In times of crisis, do we go to God first in prayer or do we try everything else and then we say, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. When prayer is your spare tire, it means that we just whip prayer out and we're like, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this. We whip it out. We whip out prayer and after we've done everything and we've tried everything and then we give prayer a go. But when prayer is your steering wheel, it will direct, it will lead, it will drive everything in your life. It means you pray for everything and in everything. You pray right down to the last detail because you realize that prayer is paying attention to God. The third thing you need to know is prayer is being honest with God. <laughs> so many times we're like, we, don't, we approach prayer and we're like, oh, I can't say that to God. You know, I can't be honest with God about how I feel about this. I don't want to offend God. I, I don't want to be disrespectful to God. Oh, I can't voice this thing here about how I feel to God because he might strike me down. What are we actually saying? Because the God who created you is the same God who created all those emotions in you. And so you're not out here going to catch him by surprise by being honest with the way you feel. Amen. Jesus knew what he had to do. He knew that he had to endure suffering. He knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew that he had to die in your place and my place. He knew that God, he knew why God sent him to the world. And Jesus was honest with how he felt. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. When I read that line right there, it painted this picture of what seemed like to be a level of agony and anguish that Jesus may have felt. It was as if he was saying, Father, I don't want to drink of this cup. Father, this is too much. Father, I don't want to be away from you for three days in the tomb. Father, I don't know if I can do this. Father, I need you. Jesus was honest with God. And throughout the Bible, there are so many examples of honest prayers that so many people prayed. And Psalm 73 is one of them. It was written by a musician named Asaph. And Asaph was uh, employed by David to minister before the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, he was like a worship leader in David's time. And so I would like to read an excerpt from this prayer. <clears throat> He says this, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. He goes on to say this, look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. He says, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. And then he says this, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. 
you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Who am, who, whom have I in heaven uh, but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. What an honest prayer. If you feel like you can't bring your real mess your real emotions, your real questions, your real doubts, your raw truth, then you need to know today that God is waiting to hear your authentic heart. He is waiting for you to be intimately real with Him. Because prayer is not only just personal, it's not just paying attention to God. Prayer is being honest with God. And the last thing you need to know, uh, if Daniel can join me on the keys, prayer is submitting to the will of God. Some of the hardest prayers that I've had to pray in my 31 years of life would be prayers of submitting to the will of God. Because I realize it means I will have to let go of what I want in order to lay hold of what God wants. And what that means is it's, not, it's probably not gonna look the way that I want it to look. It probably won't sound the way that I want it to sound. It probably won't feel the way that I want it to feel. But the, the best place for me to be in would be in the will of God. Jesus kneels and prays and he says, Father, if it is your will, Take this cup from me, nevertheless. Don't you love a good nevertheless moment? Amen. The Bible is so full of them. Peter goes out to fish and he comes back and Jesus says, Peter, launch your, your boat out into the deep. And he says, well, we've been out all night trying to fish, but nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to launch out into the deep. Elijah says to Elisha, son, is there anything that you want of me? I'm about to leave. And Elisha says, yes, give me a double portion of your anointing. And Elijah says to the son, that might be a bit hard. But nevertheless, if you see me taken away, it shall be done for you. The prophet Haggai, he prophesies and he says, the vine, the fig tree, the olive tree have not produced. But nevertheless, he says, from today on, I will bless you. And here we have Jesus saying, if it is your will, Father, Take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you see, this is the best part about it. The next verse says this, Luke twenty-two forty-three. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. An angel appeared from heaven, strengthening him. Prayer is submitting to the will of God. And when we submit to the will of God, we open up the door for God's strengthening. Jesus had a nevertheless moment. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was a moment of submitting to the will of God. It was a moment of yielding to the will of God. With just one word, you can change the course of a dialogue. With just one word, you can change the entire context of a sentence. With just one word, you can change the entire outcome of a situation. With just one word, you can open up the door for God's strengthening, for God's healing, for God's deliverance, for breakthrough, for miracles. With just one word. And when you pray, you're connecting with the heart of God. When you pray, you're, you're saying, Lord, I'm not going to do this any other way but your way. When you pray, you're laying down your own agenda and your own motive. When you pray, you're aligning yourself to the good and perfect will of God. And you see, when we submit to the good and perfect will of God, we open up the door for God's strengthening, for God's healing, for breakthrough, for miracles. As we journey in the next 21 days, church, can I encourage you? Let's really press into prayer. Let's seek the face of God. The Bible says that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. God says, I would heal, hear from heaven and I would heal their land. In this next 21 days, let's stand together in prayer. Let's really press into prayer. And as we do, I want you to remember, prayer is personal. Prayer is paying attention to God. Prayer is being honest with God. And most importantly, prayer is submitting to the will of God.